Amen. Thanks, Mel. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good to see all of you. Thanks, Steve. Your voice thunders over all the rest. It's good to see all of you this morning. I'm just going to get adjusted here. Uh, if you're new at Grace Hill, uh, I'd love to be able to meet you after this service. My name's Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill, so we're just really glad that you've joined us, and uh, I would love to be able to connect with you um, after the service. Those of you who are coming to the table, excited for our second week of lunch together, chatting about the church, so excited to do that with you, and if you're newer to the church and you haven't done the table, it's three weeks of lunches, we pay for lunch and watch your kids after service, and get, we get to know each other, and we share a lot about the church, you ask any question you want, and so we'll be doing that again um, probably in March. And so if you're interested in that, just make sure you tell the Connect team uh, in the lobby. Last fall, um, we began a series on First Thessalonians. And last week, we wrapped that series up, studying that book in the New Testament. And as we were beginning that series, uh, I really just began to start praying about what would be next, what would we like to study together and think about together next after 1 Thessalonians um, for this spring. And one of the things that the Lord kept on impressing on my heart um, is, is this. If Galatians 2.20 is true, so Galatians 2.20 says that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. If, if that's true, what does that mean that Christ lives in me? Right? If 2 Corinthians 5 is true, where it says that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, the old is gone and the new has come. God is doing something, forming something new inside of you. If, if that's true, what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it look like for us as believers in Jesus to have Christ-like character? That if Jesus lives inside of us, if Jesus is doing a work inside of us, something that's new, what would that look like? How would that be displayed? You know, we're living in a, a season right now, or, or an era, I guess you could say, where trust in the church as an institution, at least in our nation, is at an all-time low. Uh, we're seeing people of all generations. It's actually not just a younger generation thing. We're seeing people of all generations really begin to question their faith, really begin to question, do I believe in what the scriptures say? Do, do I really believe in Jesus? And we're seeing a lot of people, just kind of across the board in our nation, Maybe they go, yes, I do believe this. Yes, I do believe in Jesus, but I don't think... I believe in the church anymore. I don't think I believe that the church is a good place for my faith to thrive. And I think one of the reasons, and as, you know, pollsters and statisticians and all these people who make, study this stuff, one of the questions they ask is, hey, why, why? What's causing this? And there's several answers, but one answer that's been prominent kind of across the board is People basically citing and saying, hey, when I see the church, 
when I see uh, uh, leaders in the church, people with these big platforms and, you know, the media covers them and all that, uh, I, I don't see anyone with a character that really is all that different than the world. Yeah, sure, maybe as Christians we have certain values and we express those values and we say that we live by those values, but character's different than values, right? Values is something you state, but character is something that you live. And I want to ask the question, what does Christ-like character really look like? And how is that formed inside of us? You know, I think one of the, one of the verses or two verses that probably summarizes that the most succinctly is Galatians 5, and 23. And Paul talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? And he says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I mean, what, what Paul's really saying here is as the character of Christ is formed in his people, the character qualities that are going to begin to increase, not, not overnight, but in time, the character qualities that are going to increase are going to be things like gentleness, things like kindness, patience, peace. You know, it's like no one looks at someone who's harsh and go, that's a godly person. You know, no one looks at someone who's snarky and goes, yes, that's what Jesus looks like. Right? Like, no one does that. Because the fruits of the Spirit, and I think we, we know in our own character and spirit, is when we see someone who's gentle and kind and caring and patient, those are the qualities of, yeah, that, that seems to match with what I read about Jesus in the scripture. And so, very hopeful this morning because we're going to start a new 10-part sermon series called Formed. And we're going to be really asking the question, what does it mean, what does it look like for Christ-like character to be formed inside of me? If you real quick, go to Jeremiah chapter 18. I'll pop this on the screen behind me so you can read along. This is such a great image that we get, Jeremiah 18, verses 1 to 6. Remember, Jeremiah was a prophet to God's people and charged with delivering God's word to God's people. And we read this. It says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So, I, that's Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house, and there he, the, the potter, was working at his wheel, forming clay. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it, so he took that clump that spoiled, I guess it collapsed, or, you know, he didn't form it right. So he, he took it, he reclumped it together, right? He reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? 
declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God is saying to his people that I want to form you into something new. And my question is, what does he want to form us into? What does that look like? As you think about or dream about the things that God is forming you into, what what do you think God is doing? And so I'm hopeful this morning because we're going to enter into this 10-part series, and my hope and my prayer for it is that it actually becomes a a series that outlives just the 10 weeks that we have together in it on Sunday mornings, but it actually becomes a discipleship tool that can be used now for each of us and in the future. And so you'll notice in your bulletin this morning, you also got a half sheet there, and there was some reflection questions in there. And on the back side, you see the 10 parts and the scriptures that we'll be studying together across this entire 10-week series. And, and my hope as we go through this together is that maybe you'll grab those questions and sit with someone, a, a spouse, family member, friend, someone here, someone in your community group, and you'll talk through these questions. And you'll notice these questions are designed to be probing. They're designed to help us really dig in and ask, what is Christ forming inside of me? So where do we begin? Let's jump in. How does Jesus form character in us? And in order for us to start there, we, we got to start with asking who we are. What is our identity? Because character flows out of your identity. Character flows out of who you think you are. And obviously the Bible says a lot about who you are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study portions of Ephesians 2 this morning together. Because in Ephesians 2, I think we're going to see how our identity flows into our character. And so this morning as we open up Ephesians 2, we're going to talk about God's intervention in our lives and God's calling upon our lives. And how both of those become the the bedrock. Both of those become the foundation upon which our character is built. And if we don't understand God's intervention in our lives, and we don't understand God's fundamental calling on our lives, then we're not going to really be able to understand how Christ-like character is built inside of us. All right? Intervention and calling. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 together this morning. Ephesians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul uh, to the church in Ephesus. I'm not going to be able to read the entire chapter this morning and definitely not going to be able to explain the entire chapter this morning. It is one of the more rich chapters in all of Scripture, so we're just going to read two parts of it. So let's begin. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Paul says this. And you, so you and me, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all, 
So Paul included, you included, me included, the people at Ephesus, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now, notice here how Paul, real quick, is connecting identity with character. So what were some of the identity statements we just read? Paul's talking about the former life before we knew Christ. What were some of the identity statements? Well, Paul said that we were dead. De- dead is an identity statement. You, there's no life in you, is what Paul's saying. He says you were by nature children of wrath, meaning that we were under God's judgment, like a verdict had already been declared over us. So the identity statement is we're dead in our sins, and the identity statement is we've already been declared guilty as to sinning against God and deserving of a just penalty for that sin. And so look at the character that's flowing out of that. We see things like following the course of the world, living according to the ways of the world, living according to the ways of our enemy, following the passions of our flesh, right? Basically, living in the ways that we want to live, living in the ways that make sense to us. It's the fundamental sin in Genesis chapter 3, when God goes to Adam and Eve and he tells them the way to life, and he says, I'm here to care for you. And Adam and Eve essentially say through their sin, God, no, we don't want you to care for us. We want to be independent of you. We want to follow our own ways. And so character is flowing out of identity here. So let's keep going in Ephesians chapter 4, to which we're going to read the most theologically rich two words that are contained in your Bible. Verse 4, but God. But God. Not a scholar in this world could write enough pages to fully comprehend the richness of those two words. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, same thing. We have identity statements all over. God has now done something. He has intervened in our life. We were dead while we were still dead. God decides to do something. I mean, the passage is so crystal clear. 
right? That this has nothing to do, there's no way in which we somehow compel God to do this. There's no way that we somehow impress God or, or go before him and pray a godly prayer that somehow causes him to move. Like, no, God moves before we even see him as good. And so God intervenes in our life, and the identity, identity statements we see are things like we are now alive, no longer dead. But we see that we're going to be seated with him in the heavenly places. We're, we're welcome at God's table. We're welcome in his presence now. We see things that like God for eternity is going to progress, I don't, progressively show us his goodness of his immeasurable grace for all of eternity. Almost like there'll never be a point where we think we've seen it all and then he's going to show us more. And he's going to show us more. And, and this is now who we are. We belong to God. We are now a part of his family. And so character comes out of that, right? The first thing we see is this. I can't boast. When I see what God has done for me and I see the depths of my sin, I can't boast. I can't say, look at how I've turned my life around. I can't say, look how I compelled God to do this for me. No, there's, there's something in me that goes, I, I, I can't believe, God, you intervened. I didn't deserve it. I didn't do anything for it. I can't, I can't believe you, you stepped, even when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, and walking according to my own ways. I can't, God, you're amazing. You see the character that's flowing out of this. And then it says we're his workmanship, Created for good works. So what this means is God now, now that he's intervened in our life, is going to begin to work on us. And he's going to begin to form Christ-like character inside of us. Because he has works for us to do. He has a calling that he wants to place on our life. So that's intervention. Okay, that's God steps in, and by his grace and mercy, he brings us into his family. He forgives us of our sins. And then he places this calling upon our life. And so he forms Christ-like character because he has a calling for us to fulfill. What is that? Jump kind of to the end of the chapter. We're going to read just verses 19 and 22. These verses that Melody opened us up this morning in worship with these, these verses. And again, it pains me to skip so much of Ephesians too. There's so much good stuff that we're skipping, but you know, just don't have time. All right, verse 19. So it says, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. You're no longer a stranger and alien to God's kingdom. You're welcome in. And you're no longer strangers and aliens to one another. That's what Paul was kind of talking through the part that we skipped. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You're a citizen of God's kingdom. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, so think God's word. Built on the foundation of God's word. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone 
in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I don't, I don't know if you, you caught what Melody taught us earlier during our call to worship. There's an image that's going on here, right? There's a word picture happening. And so here's the image. It's like a temple is being built. And the foundation of that temple is the word of God. The cornerstone of that temple, the thing that holds it all together is is Christ. And all of the bricks of the temple, the stones that are being built up, 1 Peter 2 would call us living stones, are the people of the church, those with Christ in them. And we're being built together into the temple. And what's the temple? Melody already showed us. What's the temple? The the temple is the manifest presence of God on earth. And so in the Old Testament, you have the tabernacle and the temple. That's where people would go to worship and to sacrifice. Why? Because that's where the presence of God was. But now we don't worship at a temple anymore. We are being taught here in Ephesians 2 and many other places in Scripture that no, when the people of God gather together, when we are together, foundation is God's word, cornerstone is Christ, the people are together, there you have the manifest presence of God on earth when we are together. How are we described Citizens of God's kingdom, bricks that together make the temple. This is our calling. Our calling is to be the manifest presence of God on earth. Our calling is together to represent the kingdom of God on earth. So, this is why Christ like character is so important. It's because when the world looks upon the church, they should feel something like that that feels different than the rest of the world. When the world looks upon the church, there should be this kind of outpouring of love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, gentleness. I just wonder if we were to poll the world, if you can do that, and ask them, hey, Is gentle a character quality that you would assign to Christians? I'd just be curious what the health stats would come out of that one, right? And so that's the the calling that's been placed upon us. But let let me go a little further. I think the calling, based off Ephesians 2, says that we fulfill this calling together. That it's when we're together, being built together, that we actually represent the kingdom, and manifest the presence of God on earth. And why? Why does, it, why does it have to be together? Because the character of Christ is primarily displayed to the world through our relationships with one another. That, that's all over the Bible. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. By this, all people will know that you represent my kingdom. By this, me in you, my character in you, by that, people will know 
that you represent the Messiah and the Savior. If you have love for one another. We already referenced Galatians 5, and 23, but look at this. I gotta give credit to Evan, one of our other pastors, who's really helped me to see this in Galatians 5, and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit, right, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, back up to verse 22. How do we display love without relationship? How do we display gentleness to the world without relationship? How do we display patience without relationship? Like all of these character qualities are displayed in the ways that we treat and in our, interact with one another. It, it literally is the, the love that we have for one another and our neighbor where the fruits of the Spirit actually come out and are seen and glorify God and point to his kingdom. If, if we're alone, if we're not practicing our faith together, then the fruits of the Spirit aren't displayed. We could keep going. John 17 talks about how our unity together is exactly how the people will know that God's kingdom is here. 1 John 4, a whole chapter on why we're called to love one another. This is a, a fundamental theology of the New Testament. The primary way that the world will know that Jesus is their Savior, that God's kingdom is here, God's presence is here, is through the church being together, loving one another, and loving our neighbor. Okay, so quick recap. Here's what we've learned from Ephesians Two, God has snatched us out of our sins, snatched us out of our death, snatched us out of the judgment that we deserve, and he has made us citizens of his kingdom. He gave us a seat at the table because he's gracious and he's kind and he's gentle and he's patient and he's merciful and when he does that, he begins to do this work inside of us, changing our desire to, to live according to our own ways and giving us a desire to live according to his ways. And we do that together. We become the manifest presence of God, the temple of God, when we live this out together, displaying the kingdom to our neighbors. And so the process of Christ forming character in us always comes back to these two truths. We have been saved by grace, and so we can't boast. And God has given us this calling to together display him and his kingdom to the world. That's the, that's the foundation of which our character is going to be built upon. You know, I've, I've shared my story with you guys several, several times, and so for most of you, this is not new, but I, just in my own life, I grew up in a home that was faithful to teach me about Jesus, and we were involved in church, and parents who deeply loved Jesus and taught me the gospel, and, and really for my whole life, I've always believed in Jesus, I've always believed in the gospel, 
But there was a moment in my life. There was a season. I don't know if it was a moment, but I would say a season in my life. A season that came after I became a minister. There was a season in my life where something akin to Ephesians 2 began to happen in my heart, right? Where I realized, yes, I I can quote the Bible verses and I've always identified as a Christian and a follower of Jesus, but something began to occur in my heart where I realized my sin before God and I all of a sudden became amazed, like surprised, almost feeling a little awkward that, that, that God moved into my heart, and he did something about it. He saved me. And, 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 and the change in my character came here where I realized I can no longer boast. Before, I was pretty arrogant about my faith. Before, I think there was a lot that I would boast in. Before, I think there was a lot that I credited myself for. And then something changed. I realized I can't. I can't boast. And then the other thing that I began to see happen in me is I began to see other people differently. I began to see people not from this, am I better than them or not perspective, but I began to see people from this, like, do they know their Savior? I began to see people who are suffering differently and, and, and wanting like compassion that I never had before. Compassion began to to flood my heart. I I began to see these fruits of the Spirit, like, sprout. And it wasn't perfect, and it's still not perfect. Far from it. But something happened where I realized I can't boast in what Christ has done for me. And that's starting to sprout things in me that I haven't seen before. Because these two things are the bedrock upon which Christ-like character is formed. We've been saved by grace, and I can't boast. Like, God's amazing. I can't believe it. And I have this calling now to represent that God with my brothers and sisters in Christ to this world. And so as we work through this series, we're going to be talking about various ways, I'm excited about it, various ways that Christ-like characters formed in us. So we're going to be talking about, okay, what's my relationship with the Bible? And how should I read the Bible? And, and, and can I rely on the Bible? Why should I trust in this? We're going to talk through that because this is the foundation also upon which Christ-like character is built. We're going to talk about what does it mean to follow God's will? What, is, what does prayer have to do with that? What's the role of the Holy Spirit in repentance and healing? And we're going to be kind of all over going, how is this character formed in me? But it's always going to come back to these two things. We've been saved by grace. And we've been called together to represent his kingdom. And so I'm really hopeful. I I hope you'll lean into this series with us, that you'll take those reflection questions and use them, and that this could be a season of growth in our church. And so as we close, I just want to leave you with this. I'm just curious if there's anyone here, maybe you're watching online or listening to this later, but... Just curious if, you're, if there's anyone here who's kind of like I was. I identify as a follower of Jesus. I've always kind of seen myself as a Christian. But I don't know if 
what we read about in Ephesians 2 has really occurred in my heart. Where I've really confessed the depths of my sin and I'm just aghast, at, I'm amazed, perplexed at that Christ would save me, would intervene in my life simply by his grace. And that reality began to sprout in you some changes to your character. Just curious if that has occurred in your hearts. Because the last thing that I would want for any of us is for there to be a barrier like I had in my life where I realized I don't think I can confess to that because I'm already a minister. <laughs> I don't think I can confess to that because people see me as a serious Christian already. And if that's you this morning, or maybe you're here and you've never trusted in Christ, or you're not sure if you trust in Christ, I, I just I want to lay before you that what it means to trust in Jesus is to recognize the depths of your sin, that you were dead in it, and that you deserve God's judgment, and yet God in his grace and his mercy has offered you this free gift and he wants to invite you to this table. He wants to put this holy calling on your life. And he wants to begin to do the work in you to form Christ-like character. But we got to come to this place first where we look at his grace and we go, there's nothing I can boast in. And if you're in that place this morning, my encouragement, my, my longing for you this morning is that you would surrender to Jesus this morning. And that you would be baptized and why do I say be baptized, right? Because it's this beautiful symbol. It's all it is. Like, remember we read Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. My old life has gone under the water. It's dead in its trespasses and sins. But Christ has intervened. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So as we raise you out of the water, new life is happening. God's doing something new inside of you. And so when we baptize, it's us declaring that, celebrating that. And so if that's you this morning, my encouragement is that you would surrender to Jesus today. Do it today. Be baptized. And let's see how Christ forms character and joy inside of you. Last thing I want to say to those of us in the room who are followers of Jesus, don't walk through this series alone. You guys know us. We've been pushing hard in this direction, all right? Let's not do this alone. Let's not do this sermon series the way we do sermon series all the time. I showed up on Sunday. I listened to the sermon. It was good. It wasn't good. I don't know. Something in between. You know, and then, great, we'll pick it up next week. Like, you know, take the reflection questions. Or if you don't like those reflection questions, I don't know, make up your own. I don't care. But, but like, take the scriptures, take what we're talking about, get with a friend, and let's work through this together. Because here's the thing. Without relationships, we've already said it, these fruits of the Spirit don't begin to grow. Right? How do I become gentle if I don't have someone to say, hey, that wasn't very gentle? How do I grow in patience if I don't have people that I need to be patient with? 
Right? We need each other to grow in these things. And so let's not do it the same way we always do it. I, I just encourage you, take those questions, find someone, schedule a coffee, go home, sit on the couch, whatever it is, and just talk through them, work through them. Let's grow together as we see Jesus form this Christ-like character in us. Okay, let me pray that Jesus would do that work in our church as we work through this. Jesus, Ephesians 2 tells us that you literally have intervened in our lives. Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. And it tells us that we are your workmanship, that you're doing something in us. You're forming something in us. And so, God, I pray that, that through this series, as we open your word and we seek to learn what, what is Christ-like character, Lord, I pray you would do just, just accelerated work, if I can pray for that, for this church. That, that, Lord, you would begin to grow these fruits in us and that we would begin to see the, the manifest presence of that. Lord, we, we ask, will you grow us in our love for one another and our neighbor? Would you grow us in our peace and our trust in you? Will you grow us in our patience? Will you grow us in our joy? Will you grow us in our goodness? Will you grow us in our kindness? God, will you make us a gentle people? God, I pray that as people encounter us, the living stones that construct your temple as it stands today in this world, that, Lord, they would encounter people who are gentle like Christ was gentle to those who were lost. Would they encounter people who are patient as people who believe in a sovereign God? Would they encounter people who are at peace because you have snatched us out of death? Would they encounter people who are good because we serve a good God and we want to represent him to the world. God, we want to do well at imaging, displaying your glory to this world. So grow us, God. We ask, grow us. Do the work of rounding off those rough edges. Do the work of helping us to grow in our trust in one another as we together fulfill this calling. We want to be sanctified, God. We want you to grow us in holiness. We love you, God. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.